LSU with former Arizona State quarterback Jaden Daniels beat Alabama and uh, played in the SEC championship game last season. Out to the KDUS hotline we go for a 2023 LSU preview. We're now joined in sports by Wilson Alexander, the Baton Rouge advocate. And Wilson, good to have you on the show. And let's start with Jaden Daniels. Why was he so good last season and how surprising was his performance level? Well, thanks for having me, y'all. He was really effective uh, for most of the season, particularly in a three-game stretch against Florida, Ole Miss, and Alabama, in which he scored a combined 14 touchdowns uh, with no turnovers. And that was the best that Daniels played last season. At the very start of the year, LSU was going through quite a bit of change. Uh, He was a new quarterback. There was a new offensive coordinator, new players, uh, new entirely new coaching staff under Brian Kelly, and it was clear that it took some time for those things to come together, um, for the coaches to figure out what Jaden liked and for Jaden to figure out what the coaches wanted from him, um, and there was certainly some hiccups at the beginning of the year, but that three-game stretch was kind of his coming out party, and it's giving LSU quite a bit of confidence going into this season that if he can build on that um, and do it you know, consistently, he could have a huge year, because he had the second most productive season by a quarterback in LSU history behind Joe Burrow's Heisman campaign. Um, and, and that's wow. nothing to turn your nose up at. It certainly exceeded expectations in that regard, um, but now he's got to continue to fill on that for LSU to get to where it wants to go. Okay, so what specifically can uh, Daniels do better this season? The big thing for him is downfield passing, um, which was a bit of an issue last season, um, particularly at the beginning of the year, like we said, when things weren't quite clicking. He was taking off and running quite a bit. Um, which was sometimes effective, but not necessarily for sustaining an offense uh, long term, and especially with you know for his health, uh, because you you know you take so many hits. Um, the, it took some time for him to get on the same page with his receivers, um, and they needed to be able to stretch the ball downfield more. That's been the biggest thing with him. He's also put on about 15 pounds in order to be able to take withstand a full season in the SEC. Um, but the big thing was was the downfield passing game. That's something else he's been working on all off season just to try to stretch the offense vertically and get more explosive. Must have better food in Louisiana than here because they tried to get him and put on weight when he was at Arizona State. <laughs> well, it's certainly uh, – the food does, will certainly put on weight, but it's not just a bad weight, you know. He's put on 15 yeah, pounds of a pretty compact muscle, it seems like. And so, you know, they've got a, a strength training program that seems to work for him. And for whatever reason, it, it's, it's happening here. Uh, that it's, He's been able to get that – that muscular build up a little bit better um, than, it, than he had earlier in his career. Okay, so the, L- the SEC lost a lot of really good quarterbacks from last season. So is Daniels the best quarterback in the SEC, at least heading into this season? If he's not the best, he's up there top two or three. There's kind of a group with him, uh, Spencer Rattler at South Carolina, K.J. Jefferson at Arkansas, and Will Rogers at South Carolina, excuse me, at Mississippi State, that are all returning starters experienced returning starters, um, you know, in terms of being upperclassmen. And they're kind of the best group, you know, sort of that first tier of quarterbacks in the SEC this season because they are a little bit more proven commodities than somebody like Jalen Milrow at Alabama or Carson Beck um, at Georgia or even Devin Leary at Kentucky who had a uh, really good sophomore season at NC State but then kind of struggled last year and was hurt. And so there's, they might not be the best quarterbacks by the end of the season in the SEC, but they're kind of starting out that way. Jason's certainly up there. I think the best one is either him or KJ. 
um, and Jaden, but you have a, a certainly have a case for Jaden um, to be the best returning quarterback in the SEC. Maybe when it's all said and done, be the best quarterback in the SEC this season. Um, if he's able to do what we were talking about in terms of becoming a more effective downfield passer and continue to do all the things that he does as a runner, um, then he could be in the, in, and if LSU's winning, then he'll probably be in the Heisman conversation a little bit, um, you know, later in the year. And so, um, it, you know, coming out of media days this week, uh, tomorrow, there'll be the all preseason all SEC teams. And it would be surprised if Jaden wasn't, you know, first or second team quarterback. Okay, Brian Kelly. Uh, he was ten and four last season, his first year uh, in Baton Rouge, and has he won over the fan base? He certainly has. You know, it started off a little bit uneasy. Who is this guy coming down here from Notre Dame <laughs> with who doesn't necessarily understand what we're about? He, you know, in Louisiana, people are certainly here. I think cautiously optimistic for starters. It wasn't. I don't. I never got the sense that there was as much sort of. Um, you know, hate toward Brian Kelly, not even hate, but just like dislike of him um, right when he first got here, even with the whole family thing that so many people um, sort of first saw out of him at LSU in the moment. That did not seem like a thing uh, being in the arena itself um, when he said that. And, but certainly by the, as a, it was always about winning football games. If Brian Kelly was going to win football games, he would be accepted in this uh, part of the country. That's what matters uh, to this fan base ultimately at the end of the day. And by, especially by doing that last year with 10 wins, especially one of them over Alabama at home in the fashion that they beat Alabama, um, he is this fan base is behind him. Um, they'll turn on him if he doesn't keep winning, but as long <laughs> as he keeps winning, they, they, are, they support him as their head coach. Daniels was one of just you know, that 15 transfers last season. How is Kelly able to get that many new players to contribute in a, you know, a division-winning team? That's been the most uh, impressive thing about this whole sort of start to the Brian Kelly era here is the ability to not only bring in uh, a quality transfer, but transfers who are so impactful on this team and they're able to mesh so quickly because it's happening at every, you know programs around the country. Uh, we were talking to Ole Miss, you know, Coach Lane Kiffin today, and he said that you know they've got a team loaded with transfers, um, but they kind of fell short of expectations at the end of the year and kind of spiraled with four straight losses. And he thought maybe it was because they had so many transfers. But Brian Kelly, they brought in a lot, but they brought in some really good ones. They prioritized things like character, of, of course, and, and, um, and people who were going to fit into the program in the right kind of way. And they've been able to get all those guys to mesh. And you know, they've got to do it again this year because um, they brought in some guys like Omar Space from Oregon State, who's going to be a really important linebacker for them, but also a ton of corners. They've got to get that position group uh, settled with transfers, and so we'll have to see if they can do it again because they had to dip into the portal a little bit more than he would like to um, going forward. In a couple minutes here, let, let, let's uh, yeah, let's, let's stick with Kelly for one more question here. What can he do better in year two? It's an interesting question. It's not something I've considered about him because he had such a successful year one. It would probably be – um, recruiting. Uh oh, hello. The, the talent base so I, that you can certainly get go. out of Louisiana. Um, so the fact that he would be able to recruit in state maybe a little better. They missed out on some big guys in the last class. That would probably be the big thing for him to continue to recruit well because if he can get this roster up to really like, along with Georgia and Alabama that kind of level, um, then LSU is going to be really really competitive. That would probably be the main thing at this point. 
There we're talking with uh, Wilson Alexander, the Bad Rouge Advocate, currently in the sports zone. All right, let's uh, flip this to uh, – well, I want to get to one more thing about the offense. Or actually, a couple more things. Go to the defense. I, I promise we'll get to the defense. Uh, but first up, they have a certainly experienced offensive lineman returning, seem to have multiple skill position playmakers. What stands out to you from the line? And other than Daniels, who do you think is most dangerous with the ball in his hands this year? The most dangerous person is certainly Malik Neighbors. He's a junior receiver, had a 1,000-yard season last year, a huge bowl game. He's their number one offensive playmaker and sort of already put and put the label on him uh, from Byron Kelly that he's the next in line to uh, this LSU wide receiver sort of run that they've been on with Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and others. Um, Malik's kind of the next guy up, and he'll be their number one offensive weapon. But they've got some others like Mason Taylor, the tight end, Logan Diggs, and Notre Dame transfer is really intriguing. Um, and then on the offensive line, it's a group that was really messy at the start of the season last year, um, and that's part of the reason the offense was struggling early on. Um, but now there's, there's some young guys who have gotten a lot of experience playing time, like Will Campbell at left tackle, Emory Jones at right tackle. They were both true freshmen starting in the SEC, which is no small feat. And now they're back for the season under their belt. This is an offensive line that they feel pretty good about because of the continuity. All right, now onto the defense, as I promised. Uh, edge rusher and linebacker Harold Perkins was uh, at times, maybe more than at times, unblockable last year as a freshman. How quickly did you realize that he was going to be a difference maker? To the level that he was, not until probably um, maybe midway through the season um, when he started to do some things like against Auburn, um, you realized, oh man, this guy is really good. But you knew early on that he was, a little was going to be probably special. It was just a matter of when he was going to get on the field because right off the bat in fall camp, he's 6'2", 220 pounds, and looks just physically already ready to play right away. Uh, he was so fast right off the bat that it was clear that LT needed to find a way to get him on the field. And it was just a matter of figuring that out because he's an inside linebacker, but they had to start playing him outside to not put too much on him right away. And But once they got that sort of settled in their defensive scheme, it was, it, he just took off, and that game against Arkansas was one of the greatest performances yeah. that yes. I've seen out of an LC defensive player since I've been here. That was phenomenal, and you know now he's playing back inside again, um, so it'll be interesting to see just kind of how he handles mm-hmm. that transition. LSU has said all the good things about him, you know, switching to that inside linebacker. He'll still be a free-flowing outside edge rusher at times, um, but he's going to play a little bit more inside, which they hope will increase his versatility, make teams you know not be able to exactly predict where he's coming from. Um, instead of just coming out as an edge rusher, which if that can continue to unlock him, the sky's the limit for this guy. He could be the best defensive player in the country. Okay, so they returned just four defensive starters. They uh, you know, lost a lot, especially in the defensive backfield. So other than – who's going to be the hardest to replace? And other than Perkins, who needs to step up the most this season? The other person who needs to step up the most would probably be Mason Smith. He's a defensive tackle uh, with a lot of yeah. talent, but he's coming off of an ACL injury at the season opener last year, even though he is coming off of that. And, you know, sometimes it takes a while for guys to get back into form after an injury like that. LSU is sort of already putting a lot on him in terms of this is somebody who's going to need to be an inside pass rush presence for them um, to give Harold some one-on-ones on the edge and make teams not be able to just tee up on Harold, but really have to defend the whole defensive front. There's already being put quite a bit on Mason. Um, you know, he's, he's a big one. Um, in terms of who's going to be the toughest to replace, 
Um, it's not the biggest name necessarily, but um, the cornerback room with Dark Bernard Converse and Makai Garner um, and some others, Jay Ward back there. This is the area that LSU has got circled as concern as, as the cornerback because they had to dip back into the transfer portal, get four transfer corners. They don't have a lot of depth in the secondary yet. And if they're not able to get um, the same level of production out of that room, then this, that could be the Achilles heel there is in the defensive uh, backfield. So the, replacing those corners who were only there for a little bit, um, those are going to be the toughest to replace. Okay, you mentioned Spate. Uh, he was really good at Oregon State. We're familiar with him. Uh, what's expected for him at LSU this year? To be a starting inside linebacker and, and kind of a catalyst for this defense. He's come in right away and sort of established himself as a leader, even though he's not as you know a vocal guy by any means. Um, the way that he carries himself has sort of drawn LSU uh, players around him, and, and sort of they like to follow this guy. Um, a lot of a lot of respect for him right off the bat. The way he just works, um, you know, with his range um, and the way that he plays at linebacker, they're expecting him to start and maybe be the most impactful transfer that they brought in in this class. Um, and so he's going to have to do that, especially because LSU lost some uh, starting linebacker in Micah Baskerville and some other you know, underclassmen tr- who transferred out of the program. Um, Spate's going to have to be a really solid contributor for them right in the middle of the field. Preview now LSU football with uh, Wilson Alexander of the Baton Rouge Advocate. All right, so week one, you get Florida State and Orlando. Then there's division road games at Mississippi State, Old Miss, and Alabama. They do play five of their last six games at home. Uh, does LSU negotiate uh, that slate and win the SEC West again? Well, we'll have to see. Um, they're going to be in a good position, though, if they can just split between Florida State and Alabama, even if they don't win the SEC West. Um, if they split those games and run the table outside of that um, to potentially go 11-1, and one, then they're going to be in a really good chance to make the playoff, um, as, depending on what happens and shakes out in the rest of the conference. Winning the SEC West is going to be tough. That you know, just the last year of this division that's been such a grinder uh, will continue to be so. Alabama was here yesterday at SEC Media Days. They're clearly highly motivated. Um, they've got a lot of talent, but obviously the questions at, cor- at quarterback and with two new coordinators. Um, and now you have to go to Tuscaloosa to try to win two in a row against Alabama, which uh, has not happened in a very long time here. So that's going to that's not no small feat. Um, whether or not they can win the SEC West, uh, I, I don't know. But uh, they're going to be the favorite here coming out of media days tomorrow. Um, they're certainly a, a, it's a, it's there for them, but they got to go and do it. Okay, speaking of SEC media week, I've been there watching the last four days. I frankly don't take a whole lot from what I hear from the coaches seriously, no matter what conference it is at this time of the year. Uh, did you learn anything? You're there. Did you learn anything this week from SEC media days? I, I would have to agree with you that there is, is there's so much sort of fluff uh, at these events and uh, a lot that you hear that you didn't necessarily already know. Um, I guess in terms of, of what I learned, um, you know, covering LSU, I learned that you know John Emery is a running back of theirs who he could be very talented. He was a former five star. He's had some academic issues, and um, he's going to probably be able to be available for fall camp after missing the spring with some academic stuff, and so. Um, that would be something on the LSU side of things that we kind of pulled out. From a more broad overview, um, there's been just so much talk about Texas and Oklahoma and them coming to join the league. Um, the Everybody, of course, is sort of saying all the right things and being very supportive of that um, move. Um, so we'll, that'll be really fascinating next year when LSU, when, excuse me, when SEC Media Days goes to Dallas and starts to expand um, with those two teams in the league. 
Yeah, I assume that Greg Sankey has uh, concluded his Monday filibuster by now. It was like an hour. I mean, it was. It, I understand commissioners are going to go up there and talk up their conference, and they got plenty to talk about, or he does. But I mean, that that lasted a long time. <laughs> yeah, it did. I mean, it all it certainly always does with his sort of annual State of the Union uh, of the SEC, and with so much going on around the conference, he had a, a lot to talk about. Um, the, the sort of heartfelt moment that actually came from that I think may be worth mentioning is, of course, this is the first year since um, first, this will be the first season since Mike Leach died. You know, so suddenly right. back in December, yeah. um, mm-hmm. there's a heartfelt moment there was Sankey not wearing a tie thing because Leach went on a you know a, a typical Leach rant last year about um, the nec- how useless neckties are. Um, so that was kind of fun, <laughs> um, and you know it was interesting to see Mississippi State here this week trying to get past the loss of that co- uh, yeah. sudden loss of a coach in an unprecedented situation while still moving forward and, and not getting sort of stuck in, in the that feeling of grief in the, and in the past and them navigating that's going to be one of the most fascinating stories of the year. Wilson, this has been great. I appreciate it, especially taking time from uh, Media Day today. Lane Kiffin talked today. That's always an interesting thing in itself. So uh, thanks for the time, and I'm sure we'll be checking back during the season. Thanks for having me, y'all. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Thank you. Wilson Alexander, the Baton Rouge Advocate.